Hello and welcome. I am Joe Magician, and may I wish you all a very happy new year. Um, it's got to be better than last year, right? Right? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, God. Well, I'm going to try and start off this year by going back to an old favorite of mine in the Song of Ice, awesome, Song of Ice and Fire universe. The thing is... And the thing that still is until I launched the new artwork and stuff, the icon of my YouTube channel. And in fact, the little video you guys just watched at the beginning of the video. Um, that's right. The old gods of the woods, those giant menacing bone white trees with faces carved into them. The weirwoods. What are these things anyway? Because they're sure as hell not normal trees. Where they come from? What are they even doing in a song of mice and fire? How do they work? And in classic Gurum style, uh, they seem to ask more questions about themselves than they answer. And today, we're going to try and answer at least some of those. A few, like a little bit, because it's a giant topic. Uh, the fact that all the videos on my channel are not about weirds is kind of amazing. Uh, before we get going, uh, obviously, you're going to do a few little promo things. Uh, make sure you like, subscribe, uh, leave a comment to feed the very, the very voracious YouTube algorithm gods. They like blood sacrifices just like weirwoods. Um, also, if you want to support me, there's links in the in the chat. Actually, I pinned them to it uh, for PayPal. There's super chats, and of course, there's Patreon, where you can get access to content early, uh, get access to the outlines for all these outtakes all that other kind of stuff and including coming up the sand Kings patron only episode. So I also wanted to thank some of my new patrons, uh, over the last week or so, uh, Steven Tubbs, Kristen, uh, Severi, and just Andrew, no other name, just Andrew, like the Andrew, the Ned, but yes, please feed the voracious, <laughs> voracious algorithm gods. And what we have coming up, obviously the tattered Prince video, um, that is in, I'm doing the animating now. So adding all the visuals and all that other kind of stuff, everything else is done. I just have to do that and then add in, there's going to be a giveaway associated with along with the channel launch and also a threadless shop. So you're going to be able to get that sweet, sweet Joe Magician merch, which will feature weirwoods because I do like them quite a lot. Um, and as I said earlier, the sand Kings patron only analysis will be coming up that will be George. That's my what I consider George's best non A Song of Ice and Fire story, or at least short story. Some of his books are pretty good, but this is just like a short story. So that will be coming up um, f as per usual for 150 likes. I'll put on the old Gandalf hat, which is sitting right here on top of my fan um, for 175. The Gurm hat. Kind of hard to see now that the with the new lighting setup, but it's there. And for 200 likes. Uh, I was asked to come up with something for this because we've hit it a few times. Um, I will read an excerpt from the upcoming um, Tattered Prince video. I'll read a paragraph or something like that. So you guys slam that like button, get to 200. It won't be revealing. I'm not going to tell it's not going to tell you what it's about, but you can hear part of it. So I figured that'd be a nice. Uh, a nice little reward for for you guys slam that MF and like button. <laughs> All right, so back to the old Weirwoods. So I got a great opening quote here. There's so many good quotes about them. George writes about them extremely elegantly and beautifully. And a lot of it reminds me, it's like he gets his most Tolkien-esque when he writes about these things. 
I think it's just wonderful. And this one here uh, comes from early on. I think this is from Catelyn's chapter. Here we go. <clears throat> At the center of the grove, an ancient weirwood brooded over a small pool where the waters were black and cold. The heart tree nagged called it. The weirwood's bark was white as bone, its leaves dark red, like a thousand bloodstained hands. A face had been carved in the trunk of the great tree, its features long and melancholy. The deep-cut eyes, red with dried sap and strangely watchful. They were old, those eyes, older than Winterfell itself. They had seen Brandon the Builder set the first stone, if the tales were true. They had watched the castle's granite walls rise around them. It was said... <clears throat> it was said that the children of the forest had carved the faces in the trees during the dawn centuries before the coming of the first men across the narrow sea. Ooh, always gives me chills. Such, such a good introduction to them. It makes them scary. He makes them impressive, ancient, unknowable. They're just confusing to begin with. It's, it's all just wonderful. I love it. Um, <laughs> yes the nameless faceless gods of the greenwood yeah exactly amanda they although the the faceless part's a little confusing because they do they do carve the faces into them which we'll get to that later but um so i want to start off with like what exactly are these things because they're set up to be apart from almost everything else in the song of ice and fire universe they're based they're almost unique now, they start off as these extremely large kind of reverent trees, but then you also hear that they're immortal. That, that's just a weird thing he throws in. These trees are immortal. And like, there's a lot of trees that live for quite a long time. Like, redwoods can live thousands of years. Um, quaking aspens can live for quite a long time. But, like, immortal, that, that's a little strange. George's uh, should be setting off alarm bells if there's something strange going on with them. Uh, so the first thing, as we saw in the quote, they're bone white in color. They have large red leaves, which are shaped like hands. Um, that was one of those things where I, when I first read it, I was like, oh, white, white trees, red leaves. That must mean like there's they're something crazy about them. But no, not really. There are real trees like that. Um, uh, for instance, like I said, the quaking aspen, which are uh, well known throughout the American Southwest and um, kind of east of the rockies no east of california there, there's a whole bunch of trees like that out there um there are white trees with red leaves all over the world too there's different varieties uh they're not that uncommon but they do stand out because they're the only ones like it in a song of ice and fire they can also grow <laughs> gigantic 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 it um as we see in white tree village they it, that one towers above the tree line it must be like 100 more feet in the air like think about the size of a redwood i i think that's what george is going for that they're supposed to be just huge and there's also examples of that even within like the the tamed weirwoods as it were so like the three singers at high garden those are three interconnected weirwoods that are just go far above the canopy they dwarf everything else they're probably more like that throughout westeros before they got cut down oh hey super chat from eric forig uh thank you so much eric uh very generous he has comments coming from him later too but just couldn't wait uh what what will happen to theon in front of the tree why does brand and company want him to help so what will happen to Theon in front of that tree? Um, the 
the plan by Stannis is to burn Theon, and it's going to be a sacrifice to her lore. I think he's going to burn the weirwood too. I would guess that's not going to happen because it's the old thing. Like if George tells you this will happen, it will not. So what's going to happen to Theon? Um, we've seen that Bran is very focused on this area through the trees. So he may find a way to th- uh, spring Theon. He's sort of drafted him to his service from after messing with him in the Winterfell Godswood. So I'm going to guess he's going to escape him and Asha somehow, or maybe just Theon, maybe Asha dies there, which would be sad. Asha's a great character. Um, Theon really seems to have taken on this persona of almost kind of like a uh, Aaron Greyjoy, where he's he feels like the old gods are acting through him, that he's doing their service. So that would be my um, that would be my guess for what's going to happen there. It, he's like <laughs> Theon's been radicalized by the Weirwoods, but actually by Bran, which is interesting when you get to think about them. Um, oh, I also wanted to, I forgot to say this. Thank you so much to Ramona and Danny McKay. They both sent uh, super chats through PayPal before I went live. Um, they both just said happy new year. So happy new year to you guys both. I appreciate it very much. I do like that twist for Theon. It's, um, especially since he kind of looks like a weirdwood now with his white hair and he's got his bloody stumps of fingers and that kind of thing. Uh, the other thing we know about Weirwoods is that they are considered extremely, extremely valuable building materials within Westeros. Um, for some reason, a reason that nobody has explained so far, uh, they don't rot. They just don't. Apparently, instead, they turn to stone over time. They just um, they like fossilize naturally. Uh, extremely strange part of them. Um, it makes it so that quite a lot of houses within Westeros, although usually these are not um, first men houses, this appears to be Andal or um, or Faith of the Seven Houses. They tend to cut them down and use them as building materials. So Heron Hall, White Walls, uh, the Bower, which is the castle of House Greenfield, they all have quite a lot of weird within them, and you can see why. If they just turn to stone over time that just makes them better building material they just last forever uh, we also see them in some strange places like the king's guard table for some reason is made of weirwood don't know why that one happened <laughs> um uh, there's also a weirwood throne in a moon door in the eerie which again is strange because the errands are not firstmen and they don't worship the weirwoods but they built themselves a weirwood throne and they built the moon door from weirwood and they tried to grow a weirwood in their godswood and just kind of failed. So there's something very strange going on with the errands and their relationships to weirwoods because they do not worship them. And yet it seems like they're more into them than the families we know that worship them. Like uh, House Blackwood does not have a weirwood throne. The Starks don't. It's 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 very odd. Um, a girl says, do you need specific tools to work with weirwood? No, wood. No, it's funny enough. You can just cut it down with an ax, but I guess if you give it enough time, it turns to stone. Yeah. Aesthetics could be the, the reason for it. And then, um, obviously we get the ebony and weirwood doors of the house of black and white with Tobo Mott also in King's Landing and the house of the undying. So there's something going on with Weirwoods, not just in Westeros, but Essos, that is recognized not only as being valuable, but also ancient. 
Um, oh, hey, got a new um, a new patron. Uh, thank you. The crazy little Joan. Uh, Joan, thank you so much. Uh, that would be. I think that's five dollars, so five dollars a month. So thank you so much, Joan, for signing up. By the way, apparently, if you sign if you sign up during a stream, your name will pop up and I'll read it. Um, the Essos and the Shade in the Evening part, something we're going to get to later. Uh, that's a question from uh, from Aaron, actually, one of the mods here. She wanted me to talk about Emma's Emma uh, Archmaster Emma and um, the Speed Lands Crow Foods daughter's ideas about it. Uh, oh, Jen, Jen Snow, the queen of a Song of Ice and Fire board. Uh, if you worship the old gods and weirwoods, doesn't it seem blasphemous to make furniture from it? I would say so. I would definitely say so. Um, that cutting down a weirwood is a sacrilege, so the first men wouldn't do it. But it is still strange, especially with the errands that they seem to because like the veil isn't exactly known as like a weirwood hotbed. It's mostly in the north. So why they decided they needed to have all this, have all this weirwoods around them and to grow one. The growing one is the part I don't understand. Why did they want to grow a weirwood in the Erie? I don't understand it. It's very strange. Um, so that's just kind of like the, like what you can use weirwoods for, just like this building material that kind of lasts forever. Um, the other very odd thing about them is that we learn through Brand's chapter and A Dance with Dragons that the roots can burrow straight through stone. Um, if you go back and read it, you'll actually note that he calls them snakes coming out of the rocks. They um, and that's that's very strange for trees. Um, mo if you want to stop a tree from growing somewhere, generally put rocks in its way. And because it likes to go around it, it won't nothing will happen. Um, now, there are trees that grow in like rocky environments and you'll sometimes see them growing on rocks, but it's you generally they can't burrow through them. They kind of live in cr uh, cracks and crevices and the um, the soil that gets caught by their roots over time. And that's kind of how they grow through it. Weirwoods, though, they go right through rock, through bedrock, which is like we have trouble getting through bedrock, but not weirwoods. They can just do it. Oh, hey, a uh, super chat from Eric R. Five dollars. Hey, thanks, man. Um, is a weirwood arrow killing a dragon rooted, pun intended, in any known magic or knowledge to back that up? Or is that just a suggestion by by northern hubris? So. There have been dragons killed by weirwood arrows, but they were Blackfires. Uh, Damon Blackfire and his sons were killed by weirwood arrows. Uh, there's also the story that Torn Stark's bastard half-brother or bastard son, one of the two, um, picked weirwood arrows and claimed he was going to go shoot Aegon's dragons in order to end his invasion. Now, that's, that's a confusing one because... Torn came before, um, obviously the death of the Blackfire. So, was that like a pro like a prophetic thing? That yes, the Weirwood Arrows did kill dragons, but it killed figurative dragons in the Blackfires. Or is that a known part of them? It's it's kind of unclear what exactly they can do. We know the Children of the Forest did use Weirwood Arrows. Um, It'll be interesting to see what's going to happen in the rest of A Song of Ice and Fire with those with Weirwood Arrows and the Dragons. Um, there's been a lot of suggestions that Theon, the, the famous archer, that uh, maybe he will shoot a Weirwood Arrow and kill a dragon 
that'd be interesting. Um, but yeah, there's no known examples of a, of weirwood having a specific effect on dragons. Like you can just kill them with regular arrows. So good question. Uh, not something we know yet, but definitely something hinted by George that there may be something there that the northerners for some reason, or at least um, Brandon Snow thought that maybe he can kill Aegon's dragons. Like they would be more effective in some way. It wouldn't be that crazy because obviously Obsidian kills White Walkers dead. So George has introduced this idea of uh, like kryptonite substances. Uh, yeah, it could be a dominance thing. Um, they... Not really sure. It's uh, the 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 Aaron's obsession with weirwood is very strange. Anyway, uh, back to what I was talking about. The so the weirwood's going through rock. This also asks a lot of questions because, as we know, in a song of ice and fire, there's tons of caves and tunnels that burrow everywhere. Um, actually, Eliana of Girls Gone Canon loves the idea and constantly pushes it that all of the caves are uh, connected. And there's a quote by Leaf in a Dance with Dragons where they essentially say that there is a sunless sea underneath the um underneath them a great ocean underneath all the rock so one way they could all be connected is actually we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna talk about it right now the pando theory if the if the roots can burrow through rock then maybe the tunnels are where ancient weirwoods were where the roots used to go and maybe they've moved over time uh, yes go the undertaker like uh, gorn's way and if you've never heard about it, uh, one of the most famous theories that ever came out from uh, the Song of Ice and Fire board is called the Pando Theory. Um, I'm going to go ahead and uh, copy and paste it here. This was Amanda's suggestion, uh, Crow Food Solder. She wanted me to talk about it. So it's also one of my favorites. So the Pando Theory is um, by Seaforster Thorn. They long left the fandom, but we still have this pearl of wisdom with them. Um, the basic idea is if you never heard of Pando, Pando is the name of a giant quaking aspen in Utah. One quaking aspen, which is strange because if you go and look at it, it looks like an entire forest. It's 160 acres, several thousands of years old. How can this whole forest be one quaking aspen? Well, scientists went and did genetic tests and they looked underground and they found that this entire 106 acre forest was one, came from one tree, one quaking aspen, because quaking aspens, they can reproduce by seeds, but they also can reproduce by what's called uh, suckers. Um, essentially what happens is you've probably seen this with weeds and stuff like that in your garden, where the roots grow out from the central plant and then they emerge growing new plants, but it's the same one. And that's what happened with Pando. Um, other quaking aspen can do this, usually not quite as big, but yeah, they're connected by the roots. It's an entire forest that is actually one central tree that has just grown out of control over time. So the Pando theory by Seaforester Thorn is applying that to the weirwoods. The fact that they can burrow through rock, the fact that there's all these tunnels, the fact that George indicates they are connected, perhaps... All the weirwoods are connected underneath in one central root structure that goes all the way under Westeros. And that the, yeah, today how damn trees are creepy. Tree, trees, trees are crazy. 
Um, it's a really good theory. It also goes into like, are the weirwood trees evil and all this other stuff? Uh, he calls it the grand weirwood conspiracy. See Forrester Thorn. But yeah, so that's the Pando theory. I would I don't think it's like literally true, but I think it is true in a sense because George does have a hive minded thing going on with them. Um, yeah, <laughs> and there's also the biggest organism on the planet is um, is actually just one big fungus that covers a gigantic area. Pando is often called the heaviest organism in the world. Um, it's a real thing. You can go look it up. You can actually go walk through Pando and see a an enormous forest that is literally just one tree that is spread out over time. And actually the funny thing about them, I looked into their biology. Generally what they do is they take over areas after forest fires. So everything else burns down and then the roots of the quaking aspen survive and they spread out all over the place and take over where there used to be other trees. They're called, uh, they're in a, a very invasive kind of tree. But yeah, go give that one a read. It's really good. Um, so the other thing is, since we were just talking about it, like how do weirwoods reproduce? Like how do they get from one place to another? Because they're spread all over the place. The thing is, George has given us no known mechanisms for how weirwoods spread in any way. The only hint we get is uh, the quote unquote weirwood paste that's given to Bran. Um, they, it's said to be made from weirwood seeds, but we've never seen them. We've never seen um, flowers or pine cones or anything from the weirwoods. So most uh, a popular theory is that the weirwood paste is actually Jojen, or at least like it, it probably is Jojen. There's a lot of cannibalism. Brand thinks it looks like blood and flesh when he drinks it. So exactly how exactly do these trees spread? Well, one possibility is, of course, uh, the suckers like with uh, quaking aspen. And actually, there's a hint to this. I, I realized it today. Um, if you go back and read the brand's journey through the night fort, there's actually a weirwood that's coming up through the kitchen. Now, we also know underneath it, there is the uh, black gate, which is a weirwood face. So it's very it's possible that that weirwood growing up through the kitchen of the night fort is actually a sucker of the great. Um, of whatever the black gate is. Uh, so that that could make some sense that they they reproduce by going underground. Um, another common form of reproduction among trees is uh, called cuttings. Uh, if you've never heard of this, this is essentially the idea that you can take part of a plant and plant it somewhere else and it will grow a complete new tree. Uh, if you guys were actually watching my videos on Twitter and Instagram over the last uh, last year when I did gardening, I actually had a huge problem with cuttings. I had planted a bunch of uh, sticks I had found underneath the garden bed intending it to be fertilizer. And instead, they all tried to grow new trees because they were the wrong kind of uh, sticks to use. These ones are the kind of ones that can grow brand new trees. So it's it's entirely possible that the way you plant a new weirwood is you break off a branch from another one and stick it in the ground. You're welcome, Mallory. I'm glad you <laughs> I'm glad you hate it. Uh, that That's actually part of a old video I made, actually the first video on this channel that I'll be remaking at some point. But um, my idea, which was influenced by 
um, was it the Ender's Game series? I think it was. I forget which one it was, but it's it's the Pequinos, the Pequinos, which essentially they plant bodies and then they turn into conscious trees. George is friends with the author of that. Um, he's obviously read it. So I'm thinking that maybe that's his interpretation of how weirwoods grow. You break off a branch, you kill somebody, you, t- you stick the, boy- the branch in their chest. And from there, it grows a brand new weirwood. Yes, baby Groot. Exactly. Carlito King. Cuttings are a very common way for trees to reproduce. Willows. Yep. A lot of people think it has to be like pine cones or acorns or that kind of thing. But there's all sorts of different ways for trees to reproduce. And then obviously we have what are called wild weirwoods. Uh, We hear about these when John is traveling through the haunted forest. There's also a bunch of them in the north. Uh, But it's unclear if they're actually wild. Um. It seems like these could be markers of old castles and towns that have been destroyed over time. Um, but you never know. Maybe they are wild. Oh, I missed the super chat. Um, Eric F. Uh, thank you again, Eric. He says, uh, when Ned cleans off the sword, how much did he know of the mechanics of the sacrifice or is it blindly following tradition? Uh, I was going to get to this later, but I think that modern uh, old God worshipers know almost nothing about the um the origins of what they're doing so i think ned is doing it by tradition the idea of watering the weirwoods with blood and it's just it's just a thing he's picked up over time it may be generations of starks doing the the same thing over and over again and over time losing understanding of what it means and another one here from um let's see here sticky fingers sink oh sticky fingertip (laughs) tips uh Hello, friend. Uh, very new to your channel within the past month or two. 60 days straight. Uh, here are the key backlogs at work. Uh, now I feel like a regular. Cheers. Hey, thanks, man. Uh, yeah, there is quite a lot of backlog, unless, especially in the streams, to go watch. Um, appreciate it. Thanks very much. Uh, just a reminder, when we get to 175 likes, Gandalf, I mean, 150 hat, likes, Gandalf hat, 175 a germ hat, and 200 likes, I'll read an excerpt from my upcoming Tattered Prince video. You know, slam that like button. We got 83 right now. Get that up to let's get those numbers up. Those are rookie numbers. So, yeah, that's kind of like the biology of Weirwoods. Um, it's it, one thing about George is that you should understand is that he is not actually an expert in quite a lot of things. And he's especially not an expert in. Um, in like trees and stuff like that, his quotes on this are are pretty vague that he's he just kind of made up a fantasy tree that he likes so i would guess that just just like pump the brakes with george the gardener he he doesn't know a lot about them um so yeah oh yeah good call you guys uh luminous rain says bone meal yes bone meal is a very common uh fertilizer uh blood and bone are very good for making things grow i actually watched a video Uh, When I was learning how to uh, do my own vegetable garden where a guy planted tomatoes in fish heads and it actually worked really well. Um, So the other important thing about the weirwoods we have to keep in mind is that they are they are literally magical and not just because they're immortal and not just because like the weird properties of their wood and stuff like that. I've got a couple of quotes here. Uh, First one. 
The, sing the singers of the forest had no books, no ink, no parchment, no written language. Instead, they had the trees and the weirwoods above all. When they died, they went into the wood, into leaf and limb and root, and the trees remembered. All their songs and spells, their histories and prayers, everything they knew about this world. Maesters will tell you that the weirwoods are sacred to the old gods. The singers believe they are the old gods. When the singers die, they become part of that godhood. That should be setting off like big alarm bells, like, holy shit, there's something very strange going on here. <laughs> plant, your, <laughs> plant your marijuana dead fish, they grow, grow huge. Yeah, a lot of fertilizer is essentially just dead things. Oh, I love this. Everyone's telling great stories about gardening and different kinds of trees and stuff like that. Lovely. I love this stuff. I, actually, I am a gardener in real life, so I love this kind of stuff. Uh, the Happy Masquerader. Oh, with an excellent icon I see of uh, Matt Smith's Doctor Who. Uh, $5 Super Chat. Thank you so much. Are you going to talk about the weird photo negative weirwoods and SS that Shave the Evening's made from? I feel it isn't discussed enough. Yes, that'll be coming uh, a little bit later in the stream, but definitely I'm going to get to that. Thank you very much for, um, for your Super Chat. Very, very generous. And let me just check PayPal real fast. For some reason, it does not actually give me updates. Oh, and I froze my phone. Okay, so we're going to be doing that later. <laughs> yeah, I received a lot of questions about Shade the Evening. Um, largely inspired, I probably by uh, Crow Food's daughter, Disputed Land's videos on them. She does great work on that stuff. We will be getting to that. Um, oh, let's see here. $20 on PayPal from uh, Ann C. Uh, she said, do the, do the trees themselves have sentience? I always thought the word weirwood evoked the weir like in werewolf. Uh, thank you so much, Ann, for the $20. Um, do the trees have sentience? I would say yes. Um, I do think that they have sentience separate from the children and the humans that joined them. I think they are their own thing. I was like, I'm going to talk about that with his influences and George's other works that are very reminiscent of Weirwoods in a little bit, but definitely going to get to that. Uh, again, thank you very much, Ann. Um, yes, slam that like button. And oh, $5 from uh, Mallory, aka San Rixian, who I'm creeping around with all this tree knowledge. Uh, <laughs> delete the word sucker from my brain. <laughs> I can't do it. I could make it worse with the Githyanki soul sucks, which are from the Thousand Worlds. So, Githyanki soul sucks. But yeah, sucker is a, is a well known word. Actually, if you've ever grown a tomato, um, the sucker is there's the branch. The main the main stem and there's a branch that goes off of it. Hang on. And then they're often they go sideways, but there's often there's some that go at a 45 degree angle. Those are called the suckers. If you actually let those grow and take them off, those will grow full new tomato plants. They are clones of the original. So that's basically what they're like. <laughs> I think they have sentience in whatever tree version of sentience is. Um I've got another quote here and it says, actually, this is talking about sentience. Time is different for a tree than for a man. Sun and soil and water. These are the things a weirwood understands, not days and years and centuries. For men, time is a river. We are trapped in its flow, hurtling from past to present, always in the same direction. 
The lives of the trees are different. They root and grow and die in one place, and the river does not move them. The oak is the acorn, the oak, the acorn is the oak, and the weirwood. A thousand human years are a moment to a weirwood, and through such gates, you and I may gaze into the past. Githyanki soul suck. It's a real thing. Uh, it's it's in the uh, thousand worlds. Oh, hang on. I don't know if I showed you this. I got my weirwood cup with the thimble of liquid that it allows in here. Ah, with some tasty ginger ale. Actually, this is probably a good time to ask. Um, Monaro Geek and... Um, and Alicia Kingston have a thing that they call every once in a while that they they stream and they delete them afterwards. They call them ginger ale streams. Do you know why they're does anybody know why they're called ginger ale streams? Because they're often wild and <laughs> they're really funny, but I don't understand why they're called um, ginger ale streams. I just like ginger ale. It's got a very good taste. Uh, super chat here from Hunter Grant. $5. Thank you. Very generous. Uh, what would happen if a dragon did burn a weirwood? It would be like burning stone, like weirwood, like Hall, which is described as a stone, as, a, as looking like a glass candle. Uh, if it's a living weirwood, they would probably burn. Um, the petrified ones probably wouldn't. Um, I'd have to go back and read the Arya chapters to see if the weirwood... Um, the weirwood rafters are still in place in the great hall, but I guess they would be. <laughs> Ginger ale is the best. I make that's my favorite cocktail is actually an, um, an Irish mule, which is ginger beer or ginger ale with whiskey and, um, and lime juice. It tastes very good. Oh, because she doesn't drink. Oh, okay. That makes sense. They were talking about sex toys. Good God. Yeah, they, they go a little wild. So it's, uh, it's like John's um, orange juice thing. Okay, I got it. So anyway, um, yeah, these kind of lead you to the conclusion, or George is just telling us, that the weirwoods are not just these like big creepy trees that sit there that... Um, they essentially hold serve as like libraries or or as he does in other stories, they're kind of like hive minded consciousness where they absorb. They they absorb the dead into them. You know, if you go when you die, and you go into the wood and the leaf and the limb and the root. Well, they're absorbing them. And not only that, the trees have a different experience. So you can actually, we know from Brand's chapters that you can, they, you can use the tree and see through its eyes and see everything it's experienced. So it is alive in some sense. It does have its own experience separate from these other things, but they also, it appears that they draw their power or part of their power is that they absorb the dead and kind of forge them into one gigantic consciousness, which is a thing George has written about quite a lot. You guys bonking Carl? What's he talking about? Oh, is he talking about, uh, what did he say? Oh, gingers, yes. One. They are, gingers of all kind are great. But especially the soda and the beer. <laughs> the drodong? 
Oh, no, 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 no. We're not talking about that. We're going back to the Weirwoods. Going back to the Weirwoods. Um, it is curious, though, that how they see through the eyes. Yeah, it's a good question, Luminous Rain. Uh, did the eyes get carved into them or they have their own naturally occurring eyes? Stories tell us that they get the car they get the eyes carved into them. But you may they may be you may be able to tap into their memory or whatever the hell it is that they have since they don't have brains but whatever before that um there's actually uh, a few good quotes here from george he's been asked many times about the origin of the weirwoods like is he talking about this thing or that thing like where did they come from uh and he actually answered them in some chats in the years past so the first one here is from somebody named jacob they say are the weirwoods based on a real type of tree or are they fictional george r, r. martin replied largely fictional so he just kind of made them up um, and then somebody asked him about the leaves themselves because they were trying to draw fan fiction of it, but they also were curious, like, are these actually quaking aspens? Are these supposed to be like redwoods? And so George responded, well, when I used the hands metaphor, I was thinking that each leaf was divided into five fingers, smaller ones in the ends, three longer ones towards the middle. So literally a hand spread your, spread your hand on a piece of paper and trace around it. And there's your shape. So again, he, there's not a real weirwood inspiration tree. Um, he's not copying the quaking Aspen, which kind of hurts for the, for the Pando theory. This is, that's not what Aspens look like, but even still, um, and then he goes on to say, never gave much thought about the edges would be smooth or jagged, whatever works best. So that's George's opinion on, um, on what they are. Uh, did you miss Joe putting a hat on Adam? No, uh, we're 113 likes. So we got 37 more to go and I'll put on a hat. I just I feel like that's that's an important point because I myself went down the rabbit hole a long time ago trying to figure out like are these real trees is he talking at least he's talking about like Idrisil or is he talking about something else and no George just made up a fictional tree that looks cool <laughs> that's basically what he did uh, which is fine just don't, you just don't do that to yourself Uh, so I wanted to go on to the influences from George's other works because the Weirwoods uh, have a lot of similarities to his other stories. I'm just going to say this at the top. Some of some folks have taken these connections and said like, oh, my God, I wonder if it's a song of ice and fire in the thousand worlds. These are so similar. No, no. The Song of Ice and Fire is not in the Thousand Worlds. George just writes the same ideas over and over again. That's it. He's been asked directly about this many times. It's not the same thing. He just, he likes the same ideas. You can find them in all of his stories. Skin changing is in almost every genre he's written. Sci-fi, fantasy, modern stories. Same thing here. Sci every, almost everybody... In George's stories, everybody ends up psychic at some point. So it has nothing to do with them being in a connected world. It's, um, yes, someone whose name rides with that. It, it's not, this. that's not what's going on here. This is just him writing the same idea. Uh, so the first one <laughs> uh, is from a song from Leah. Somebody actually said this earlier on in the chat, but um, the, the Weirwood-like thing is called a fungus called the Grishka. And they have, over time, essentially taken over a local population of creatures called the Shkeen. So 
the Grishka puts this weird like red veil on their heads it hangs off the back of their head and as they age the fungus like goes into their brains sort of over time and once they get too old they go into the Grishka cave where the fun the the main fungus actually is which is like a whole cave of it and they allow themselves to be eaten by it they essentially lay down in the fungus and get absorbed as food but after they're eaten the um after they get eaten, their minds are absorbed into this hive mind. It's called like bells and lights and happiness forever. Uh, the story of it is Leah trying to get Rob to join it. She, he doesn't want to. She does. She dies, but she becomes one with the with the Grishka. So <laughs> it's initially it was just a part of the just for the scheme because they this uh, this species they never left their planet. Humans are only finding it because they spread out during the thousand worlds. And if this sounds familiar, the Shkeen had been stuck in essentially in the stone ages for thousands and tens of thousands of years, essentially just becoming like a slave race, almost to the Grishka, the food for the fungus. Um, so you can see this is very similar in concept to what we see from the children of the forest who, despite apparently existing with the weirwoods for eons have never gotten further than um than essentially i get the same kind of thing stone age weaponry they have no technology they really don't have any cities they just sort of lives in caves so the the similarities between them are essentially like they're very close to the same idea and then you see that in a song of ice and fire where you see blood raven he's being eaten essentially by the weirwoods the roots have been growing through his body as he's decaying um the same when you see the children of the forest, the ones that are still alive in the other caves uh, down beneath that weirwood, they're essentially becoming one with the weirwood over time. And the previous quote that when the, the children of the forest die, they go into the trees is exactly the same as you see with the skiing and the Grishka. So it, it's a it's a very similar hive minded death cult kind of thing that you see with the children of the forest. Obviously, the weirwoods are are a big weird tree thing. They're not a, a fungus in a cave, but George is playing with similar ideas. Also song for Leah was much earlier in his uh, writing career as one of the first stories he ever got published Whereas a song vice and fire came like three or four decades later. So this was, this seems to be a part of the Genesis of getting him to the point where he's writing about weirwoods. Um, Ah, Speaker for the Dead. That's it. Thank you, Paranoid Altoid. I forgot which Ender's game it was. But yeah, Speaker for the Dead features the Pequinos. Um, and then the another one is uh, And Seven Times Never Kill Man. This one is less clear on the connections between them, but the interactions between the different species are very similar of the Weirwoods and the uh, First Man and the Children. So... Um, Again, this is a similar story to a song for Leah. Humans have arrived on this planet and on this on the planet, there's a native species called the Jainshi and they worship these weird small pyramids as gods. The humans who showed up, they're called the steel angels. They're essentially uh, religious fanatics who worship the pale child back on, which is one of George's favorite recurring references to like this weird kid, little baby with a sword, a flaming sword or something like that. Um, and they move into the world and they begin colonizing it again, like we're seeing from a song for Leah. And like we see with the first men, 
and the Children of the Forest and the Weirwoods, the Jane Shi initially don't fight back. Um, they have this like total belief in their pyramids that they're going to stop the invasion, that the pyramid gods will save them. Um, doesn't work. <laughs> the Steel Angels destroy some of the pyramids. Some of the Jane Shi become um, radicalized. And they start having weapons. But as the story goes on, it looks like the Jane Shi are going to be wiped out or they're going to be turned into like this. Um, into a race just attacking. Instead, what happens is they have this like final attack where the Steel Angels go out and one of the pyramids turns into crystal. And above it, the pale child Bacalon comes out of it. And afterwards, and actually during all this, the Steel Angels start getting all these like weird dreams and they start seeing things and they have all these weird ideas in their head. And after seeing this, they begin worshiping the pyramids and they somehow they merge Bacalon with the pyramid worship. Um, and then at the end of the story, uh, this is spoilers for all these, by the way. Sorry about that. If you haven't read them, um, spoilers for the end of and seven times never kill man. Um, the humans are essentially tricked by the pyramids into killing themselves, more or less. They destroy their stores for the winter. They also hang all their children from the walls of the settlement, essentially ensuring that over the winter they will die and the pyramids in the Jane Shi will continue. Now, that seems very, very similar uh, to what you see from the history of the first men, the children of the forest and the weirwoods. At first, the first men show up their axes in fire and they're cutting down everything. They're, um, they view the weirwoods and the children of the forest as their enemies. But then somehow the pact happens and then all of a sudden the first men are now worshiping the weirwoods to the point that now we in the current timeline see no difference between the first men and weirwood worship. But initially, that's that is not how that interaction went. It's very similar here to the Steel Angels and the Jane Shi. George is writing, again, a similar plot. Um, and it seems like this is sort of a running theme with the Weirwoods, where even though most people tend to view them as enemies, over time, they take some part of them or there's a reverence for them or they even start worshiping them uh, like a few examples, like for instance, even among the Ironborn who worship the Drown God, there's weirwood in their culture. Uh, Naga's bones seem to be made from weirwoods. Um, there's the Grey King ship, which again looks to be made of weirwood, most likely. Galon Whitestaff, a drowned priest, a very famous one who had a weirwood staff. The High Septon himself has a weirwood staff with a crystal on top of it. So... That seems to be, again, like the, the pyramids and the Jane Shi versus the Steel Angels. One of the ways the weirwoods survive is they essentially assimilate people or they use their psychic powers or something in order to take them over. Um, there's also the very, very weird <laughs> line after Bran has the, the weirwood paste. Uh, this is what Bloodraven says to him. Your blood makes you a green seaver, says Lord Brendan. This will help you awaken your gifts and wed you to the trees. So there's some kind of like, I've always, I've always in my head thought about the pact between the children and the first men. And I wonder if it was like a wedding pact because George was using this language that the humans enter the weirwoods through like this marriage of the weirwood pace. I'm, yeah, I'm not sure it's evil. It's just like kind of weird. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, Orson Scott Card may have made that up. May not have made that up, Christopher Barber. I am sure he wasn't. That's the first place I heard of it. And Orson Scott Card is a douche, but George and him have been friends for a long time. Or they were. I don't think they are anymore. So, and then the quote goes on. Brand did not, did want to be married to a tree, but who else did not want to be married to a tree, but who else would wed a broken boy like him? A thousand eyes, a hundred skins, wisdom deep as the roots of ancient trees, a green seer. So that may be setting up or informing the pact that that happened between the first men and the children of the forest, that it was essentially similar to the Jane, she and the steel angels. Yeah, the way that, well, they're not, it's not that they're aliens, just that they're not human. So they have different wants and needs. Um, another one that uh, from George's past is a story called Guardians. Actually, uh, Crowfoot's daughter and I were talking about this the other day. It's on the ocean planet of Namor, which is, of course, a name of a uh, anti-villain from Marvel Comics um, named Namor. He's a half Atlantean, half God, I think, or something like that. By the way, this is we're talking about this. A lot of people like looking for references in George's work to other stories. Not enough people spend enough time looking for Marvel comics because they are everywhere. It's one of George's favorite uh, things growing up. He didn't like DC. He liked Marvel. So look, look out for those things. The references are there. Uh, she found a cool one between a guy named the Black Knight and Arthur Dane, too. I'm not sure she's going to make that into anything, but. It was a cool idea. Anyway, so on Namor, human settlers. Whoa, are you sensing a pattern in George's writing about alien species? Arrive on Namor and they begin colonizing it, which um, is what happens throughout the thousand worlds. Yes, the Submariner, Namor the Submariner. Um, and one of the things they start doing is they find these crustacean-like creature things that they call mud pots. And it turns out when you cook them up with some butter and spices, they taste delicious. So they are a delicacy among the human settlers of Namor. But after a little while, what ends up happening is monsters begin attacking, destroying human um, vessels and settlements. And it almost seems like revenge. This is, this is from Tough Voyaging. Um, so Tuff goes there and finds out about it. So Tuff takes the contract. He's, he claims he can stop the monsters. But what happens is, is as he introduces creatures to fight them, the, um, hang on a second. The monsters keep changing and evolving very, very quickly, faster than they should in nature in, res in direct response to what Tuff and the humans are using to destroy them. Uh, eventually, Tuff realizes, realizes with his magic kittens that the mud pots are actually sentient. They are, wow, George, you did it again. It's a hive-minded psychic spe species that uses their psychic powers to enslave other creatures around them, and they're able to manipulate their genetics just by thinking about it. Um, again, a, a running pattern here. George loves the idea of stationary psychic hive-minded things that uses other creatures to fight for them. And that's what the mud pots are. What essentially happened is over time, they realized that the, there were less individuals in the hive mind and they figured out that the humans were taking them off the ocean floor and eating them. So they started attacking in self-defense. Yes, there is a Futurama. Um, Valkyrie solo. There's a Futurama episode. I don't think it's based on it, but it's a similar idea. The poplars where the humans found a, um, a very tasty treat that turned out to be aliens. 
So eventually what happens is Tuff figures out that the mud pots are alive and they're sentient and he uses his psychic kittens in order to make a peace between them and come to a tree so the humans stop eating them. But again, this is this is feels extremely similar to the children of the forest and the weirwoods that the weirwoods seemingly use the children as their defense, as their way to interact with the world. At all costs, the children would defend the weirwoods, but they are not the weirwoods. And the humans, the first men, eventually do the same thing. Uh, George writes about these constantly. Um, and again, it feels extremely similar to the first men and Andal invasions. For instance, during the Andal invasion, a uh, Andal king, I think, named Eric the Kinslayer attacked Highheart. And when he did, the children of the forest and the first men showed up, but also wolves and animals of all kinds showed up at Highheart to defend them. Um, it was a, a, apparently an amazing bloodbath. Uh, the, unfortunately, the children of the forest lost that one. High heart got cut down. But again, you can see the similarities here between Guardians and that story. <laughs> oh, 134 likes. Slam that like button, you guys. I'll put on a silly hat. Two silly hats and then read something from the Tattered Prince. Um, video that's coming up on um, the last one I want to talk about and this isn't exactly from one specific story but if you read his thousand worlds content actually hang on a second trying to frame myself a little bit better there we go <clears throat> uh, so the final th thing that's very similar is uh, something called the Harangan Mines um, the Harangan Mines have never showed up in a Thousand Worlds story, um, but the way that they're sort of like, like the proto weirwoods and the fact that they seem to have all the elements of these different hive minded races from his other stories all in one. Um, they're these unseen like super brains. Actually, if you want to think about it in terms of um, Starship Troopers, the brain bug, they're kind of like that. Um, and again, like the mud pots or the pyramids or the um, or the Grishka, they enslave and use other creatures that worship them as their defenders. They use their psychic powers to control them, and they actually have the ability to mess with humans from far away. That's what I was talking about with the Githyanki um, soul sucks. The soul sucks are enslaved race of the Harangans that screw with people's minds kind of the same way we see blood raven doing and actually if um for the more modern audience if you've ever played starcraft uh it's very similar to what you see from the overmind in the zerg the overmind in the cerebrates um you can see those as they seem almost exactly like the uh like the harangan minds the kind of yeah like a mashup of all these things um, so yeah, the use of other species as their slave races, a, a very, very similar to the weirds relationship to the children of the forest and the first men who, despite probably being enemies at one point now worship and keep the trees alive and defended for eons. The children have, uh, have apparently defended the trees for, they say longer than humans have been alive. So it's been going on for a long time. And there's actually a quote here about the Harangans that, um, that seems very on the nose for the Weirwoods. No, I'm not really centered. 
I should have picked that out first. Yeah, spawn more overlords. Spawn more weirwoods. Weirwoods are like overlords. Um, so I think this is from the Way of Cross and Dragon. It said, there is a tale, my Proctor, one that troubles me. Once is once it is said in the centuries in the long centuries of war, the sons of Haranga loosed upon the seed of earth foul vampires of the mind, the creatures men called soul feeds. Their touch was invisible, but it crept across across kilometers farther than a man could see, farther than a laser could fire, and it brought madness. Visions, my proctor, visions, false gods, and foolish plans were put in the minds of men. And again, that sounds like what the weirwoods essentially do to people. Uh, it messes with their minds. It screws with their dreams. It gets them to fight themselves, that kind of thing. So. Very, very interesting stuff. Um, when I went back and, and, I, and read a lot of these uh, a few years ago, I was going through them. I was like, these sound exactly like the Weirwoods. They're doing the same damn thing. And, you know, George has written about that. He's very much the kind of author who continues refining a base idea over and over and over again until he gets to a version he likes. And the weirwoods are essentially like his perfected version of this. <laughs> uh, Fitz chivalry snow love tough voyaging. There's so many cats actually. Yeah. Um, if you didn't know this about George, he actually does have cats. He is a big cat lover himself. Um, he calls his, the cats he has with his wife, Paris, he calls them his children. So it's unsurprising that tough voyaging about T Haviland Tuft, who is more or less George, essentially just has a bunch of cats. It makes sense. Uh, I've been ignoring chat for a little bit, but let's see what you guys got going on. Um, what percentage of the hive minds in Gurn's book are evil? Um, the Harangans seem to be the most evil because they're not, they, they spread out and they're not just content with their one world. They're very expansionist. They try and take over everything. Um, that's one of the, that's one of the keys to how strong they are. That's why the humans had such a problem with them. They ended up having to go against like dozens of alien races that were under the control of the Harangans. Most of the other ones are, are portrayed as defensive or so technologically inferior that they, if you ignored their planet, you would ignore them entirely. The Harangans seem very, very uncool to say the least. Yeah. George loves making his cat psychic. That's his favorite thing. And actually, if you think about it, the children of the forest are described as cat-like. I don't think that's, I don't think that's an accident that he made a cat-like um, sentient race that were psychics. Yeah, most most of the hive minded things are not actively hostile to humans. They're more, almost all of them are framed as defensive and they're not like trying to do anything that we would consider evil. It's mostly people being shitheads to them, like guardians. The mud pots did nothing. They were just sitting there and humans were like, oh, well, they taste they taste good. So I guess we'll eat them. Oh, only four likes away Four likes away. Slam it. Um. Surprising that cats and turtles don't have bigger roles in the Song of Ice and Fire. Um, there's quite a lot of turtles. There's the Old Man of the River. There's House Estermont. Cats are all, all over the place. The Lions of Lannister. Uh, yeah, Balerion the cat. There's a lot of cats and turtles. Those are his favorite animals. 
Oh, yes. There's also the um, the Giants. Only Shadowkin uh, mentions that. Uh, it's unclear what the relationship of the Giants to the children, to the Weirwoods were or are, but the relationship of Bran to Hodor certainly suggests that maybe at some point the Giants were um, were part of the enslavement or they resisted it. Oh, 151 likes. Thank you, guys. Ah, here we go. Beautiful. <laughs> got my Gandalf hat on. Uh, so if we get to 175, we got the Gurm hat. Let me just show that baby off. With his signature turtle on it. A green turtle for House Estermont. Get a life, you nerd? No, you. Somebody ban that guy. Um, I am very proud to be a nerd. There we go. Got it. Actually, that was faster than usual. We got an hour to go. Um, yeah, this hat will be featuring in a lot of Joe Magician stuff coming up. Let me refresh real fast. <laughs> but yeah look look for cats and turtles those are his favorite animals uh actually himself his self-insert into wild cards is called the great and powerful turtle that's why i call him that in my videos that's that's literally him he said in interviews that um that character and samuel tarley are the closest to how he views himself um so yeah there's quite a lot george has written about these we would like things for quite a long time. Um, I think he decided to make them trees specifically for a song of ice and fire in reference to Lord of the Rings. There's quite a lot of um, similarities in language and the way that they act and behave in the story between the weirwoods and the Ents and, um, you know, old man Willow and Fanghorn forest. And it seems like George just wanted a version of that, but then he made it his own. He uh, he added on the hive minded part. He added on the. The um, making other races serve them, that kind of thing. So it's kind of like it's kind of like a. Um, emerging of Lord of the Rings tree stuff and his own work in the past. That was your first ban, Aaron. Oh, ban freely. That's what I do. Giants were used like Hodor. Yeah, they might they might have been. There's so few giants left that you never know. Um, they may have been used to defend the children of the forest and the war between the men and the giants may have been engineered in that way. It seems very similar to how they use them. <laughs> um, let's see if we can grab some questions. Oh no, these these are all coming up. Um Oh, no, actually, from uh, from the patron Slack, uh, Niado asked, what is the nature, and actually this is a question earlier, what is the nature of weird sentience? Do they have their own sentience, or is it because they are inhabited by the green seers? So I think they definitely have their own sentience. They have their own consciousness-like thing. They at least have memories, because George has uh, used Brand to show us that you can see through their eyes, and you can see everything they've seen. Like the, the rewinding Winterfell Weirwood thing is essentially rewinding that weirwood's entire life seeing everyone that has stood before it so 
if they have, but it's unclear if they have a sentience in the way that like we would define it. It may be closer to the idea of the mud pots where humans find it totally impossible to communicate with the mud pots, but by using a psychic inter, um, a psychic creature that they can understand, I guess in Tufts, Tufts example, he uses psychic cats, but in this case, the children of the forest, they are able to communicate with each other. Um, But yeah, it does seem like they are their own thing in the same sense that the, the minds that join the hive mind of the Grishka remain their own thing. Like for instance, um, Rob in a song for Leah can still contact Leah. She's still separate, but there's, there's like, it's almost like, it's almost like the, um, the, the souls that join the weirwoods are essentially like the inhabitants of a great building, that kind of thing. A building that happens to be alive, that kind of thing, but not alive in the sense that we would understand it. I mean, that's that was the whole point of the whole Blood Raven speech about like how they understand time differently, how they um, how they perceive things differently. That's that's essentially George saying, like, yes, they are alive. They're conscious, but not not really in a way that humans can understand. turtles with cat legs cats with turtle shells isn't that a japanese thing or a chinese thing i think it is <laughs> yes go to undertaker weirwoods are like the mud pots if they if they were good to build with rather than being tasty correct if the weirwoods were tasty the first man would have been eating them Pretty sure turtle cats are a thing in mythology. That sounds real. Or lion, lizard lions. No. Lion turtles or something like that. Or am I thinking of Avatar? I might be thinking of Avatar. Lion turtles. Yes, I am thinking of Avatar. God damn it. Avatar the last act. It sneaks in everywhere. I don't know. I don't think they made those up though. Um, so... Uh, Next, the next thing I want to talk about with them is um, the religions that have popped up around the Weirwoods. Um, and again, keeping in mind all the stories we just talked about, um, it's it's a little hard to understand just on face value. But with all those, it kind of crystallizes into um, into something you can actually understand. So it appears that the Children of the Forest were the original, or at least the only surviving worshipers of the Weirwoods. Uh, they may not have been the first. Um, as, as we've seen from the Weirwoods, they tend to... Um, God damn it, it is Avatar. I suck. Oh. But as we've seen with the humans, uh, the Weirwoods have a tendency to absorb the dominant species around them and use them as their defense or um, as their servants, more or less to keep them safe and alive. Um, and there's, it seems to be kind of like a symbiotic rather than parasitic relationship where in exchange, the children of the forest, when they die, they sort of get like a form of uh, immortality where they join the hive mind of the weirwoods and they get to basically keep on existing in a way, basically forever. Um, 
It also provides them with this extremely long history and bank of knowledge that they can actually go back and experience as Brand does. Um, you know, it's great that the Maciers have all these books and that the first men carve runes in the stone. But, you know, over time, rain washes away uh, stone and books get lost and destroyed. We've seen that in the current story. The Weirwoods provide them with like a history of their entire their entire species start to finish through their own eyes, which is pretty incredible. Um, oh, yeah, I got I got a uh, five dollars on uh, PayPal from Peter. Uh, thank you so much, Peter. Uh, no message with that one. If you have one in the chat, um, just throw it out there. Uh, I'll answer it for you. Thank you, very generous. Um, so th that's that's one benefit they get back in for their uh, protection. Um, it also maybe they have they acquire psychic abilities from the Weirwoods because it's kind of unclear if skin changing is something naturally occurring or if it's something that can be taught or or if you have to have some method of having it like awakened in you because it appears that the children of the forest when they fought the first men only the children had had like the skin changing ability but then afterwards the first men got it and now we see that they have it like with the starks um so perhaps that was a gift of the weirwoods in exchange for um for worshiping them they gave them the ability to use this magical power oh i got your questions oh perfect got it <laughs> um oh kappa's water tigers interesting see i knew it was something there's something on the far east that sounds like this <laughs> i didn't think avatar was that um was that creative and it also gives them this very very strange ability in that they get uh green dreams and sort of visions of the future it's it's said these come from the trees or at least it's how they understand them at least the dreams do um, and there's just kind of like this highly symbolic view of the future, which appear to be enabled or created by the Weirwoods. And that's an incredibly powerful ability, probably the most powerful that the children and the first men have absorbed from, um, from the, from the trees. And also this is like, there's like a small thing, but they were allowed to make weapons from the trees in not a, um, profane way. They, it was apparently they were allowed to do it. <laughs> And there's a difference that we, I read in that other quote where the, the first men seem to treat the Weirwoods as that they're like avatars of the old gods. You know, the, as uh, I said at the beginning, the, the faceless gods of the tree, the faceless old gods or whatever they were. But then the children correct it and say, no, the Weirwoods are the gods. And it seems to be a... Um, maybe a, a difference in translation or the fact that the children never let the first men in on the secret that by the way we're actually the old gods we control them when you see when you hear a um a voice coming from them it's actually a green seer messing with your head um Uh, and it's, it's kind of unclear what the children really think the trees are because on one hand they seem to understand that, um, that they are the gods, but is it like, is it like a form of like ancestor worship? Because they know that all, 
all children of the forest, when they die, they go into them. So what exactly are they worshiping? Is it like, the, yeah, is it like ancestor worship or is it actually God worship? They seem to understand though, that there's something that the trees themselves are the source of their power on this world and that they're amazing. <laughs> Cora is pretty good. I do like the legend of Cora. <laughs> unsubscribers, tons of unsubscribers. That's after I said I like Cora. I just know it. Um, got 12 more likes and put on the old germ hat. 200 likes. Read an excerpt from the Tattered Prince video. Um, so there's a, I have a few quotes about this and it's brand talking to Leaf. And um, so here we go. And they did sing. They sang in the true tongue. So Bran could not understand the words, but their voices were as pure as winter air. Where are the rest of you? Bran asked Leaf once. Gone down into the earth, she answered. Into the stones, into the trees. Before the first man came, all this land that you call Westeros was home to us. Yet even in those days, we were few. The gods gave us long lives, but not great numbers. Lest we overrun the world as deer would overrun a wood where there are no wolves to hunt them. This what that was in the dawn of days when our sun was rising. Now it sinks, and this is our long dwindling. The giants are almost gone as well. They who are our bane and our brothers. The great lions in the western hills have been slain. The unicorns are all but gone. The mammoths down to a few hundred. The dire wolves will outlast, outlast us all, but their time will come as well. In the world that men have made, there is no root for them or us. So that kind of tells you um, that the children of the forest are aware, not only that they're dying out, but also that humans are replacing them. And that with the, with Bran and Bloodraven, they're not only just being replaced as a species, they're being replaced in their role within the weirwoods. The weirwoods are essentially like moving on to a better option. Um, they're, they're being handed over to the children. I mean, to the humans and they seem to be okay with it. As long uh, to them, I guess, as basically as long as the weirwoods survive, then their species survives in the, um, the collective unconsciousness, the, um, the weirwoods themselves, as long as they're not cut down. So that seems to be kind of what's going on. But I, I would definitely say that outside of Bran and Bloodraven, the humans in general do not have a really good idea on what they are, what the weirwoods are, what their relationship to them is. They seem to, um, they, their worship to them is very, very different. Um, Edward Martin says, so is there first men in Weirwoods besides Bloodraven? Um, so we haven't seen anybody, but there's quite a lot of skulls and skeletons down in Bloodraven's cave. So it may be that there was a, a human before that. There may have been, there may have been many before, but, um, as of right now, Bloodraven is the only known human green seer that's connected to the weird woods. But doesn't mean there, there weren't others. Maybe during that marriage pact, they, maybe they connected a human to some weird woods underneath the Isle of Faces or underneath High Heart or um, in many of the other caves and stuff like that. 
I wouldn't be surprised if there have been many, many others, just maybe not that many at one time. Um, and so another part of their worship is, of course, the God's wood. So generally, when you're talking about God's wood, these are the large grove of trees within the walls of castles. And they generally, generally have one large weirwood in the center themselves. Um, and it seems very likely that the trees were built around the weirwoods and not the other way around. Um, because we haven't seen any humans have the ability to grow new ones. The only quote unquote human that we knew that grew a weirwood was a uh, Garth Greenhand, where he apparently grew the, gr the three singers at high garden. And that's kind of it. Um, the Aaron's obviously tried to grow one and absolutely failed <laughs> like swinging a miss on that one. Um, the only new weirwood we see growing is the one at the night fort, but the night fort has been, um, abandoned for quite a long time. So it's unlikely that, that was on purpose, you know. Uh, they can also be inc incredibly large. God's Woods can be huge. The one at Winterfell is pretty big. But actually the biggest one, and this is the one that actually like makes me scratch my head a bit, along with the Aaron's trying to grow a weirwood, Black Heron, when he built Heron Hall, he built in it a 20-acre God's Wood in close by walls. And he is not a first man, and he is not an old God worshiper, but for some reason, in his amazing big castle on the shores of the God's Eye, you have Black Heron saying, yeah, build a God's wood. Let's go for it, man. I don't he doesn't worship them. He even cut a bunch of them down for Heron Hall. Um, it's one of those things that makes me wonder when we're talking when we're talking earlier about um, and seven times never kill man when the Jane, she were able to use their powers to slowly affect their enemies into worshiping them it makes you wonder if black heron was being messed with by the isle of faces um i would not be surprised if that's what's going on george has written about that many times before um sasuke says so if the first men bury their dead which can feed the weirwoods is another aspect of why the targaryens burn their dead um I would guess not. I would guess that they are, that has to more do with the idea of fire whites, which Valyrians are seemingly aware of because Rolorism grew up in their empire. So, yeah. I would guess that's, that's not what it has to do with, but it certainly does help that, um, that their dead can't be reanimated by the Weirwoods. <laughs> Everything in Aaron Hall is massive. It is massive, but he's a, he's a drown god worshiper. Um, and even when he was building it, old God worship was really um, a minority within the Riverlands. It's not like he's doing it to make any of the Riverland lords happy. Actually, most of them would be unhappy with him building a Godswood. Um, so, yeah, it, it could be him showing off. Um, and that's that's an important part of Godswood in the current times. Um, they're largely seen to be decorative. They're built in places without weirwoods, and it seems to be just like a status symbol to have a godswood. For instance, there's a godswood in King's Landing, which Sansa goes to all the time, but it doesn't have a weirwood. It instead has, um, it has just like a big oak. And that, that's kind of what you see in a lot of, a lot of places where, where godswoods that have been um, built more more recently if they don't have a weirwood they will often build their god's wood around a singular oak which isn't that isn't that far off because we know from um 
from the histories and the myths and legends that one of Garth Greenhand's uh, children was John the Oak. So there is a relationship between the first men and Oaks, at least through John the Oak, as some kind of um, importance in their culture. We also see it in um, with the with the wildlings when they come through the wall, they actually start carving faces in oaks and other trees. Uh, and through Ned, we kind of see modern weirwood um, religious ceremonies where there are, there aren't really any. There's not like masses. They don't have, there's not an old god priest that comes out and everyone in Winterfell goes to praise to the tree. It seems to be um, very much a solo one-to-one -one experience between the person and the weirwoods and the gods with themselves. Um, you know, Ned sitting beneath his tree, praying, uh, cleaning his sword. He doesn't like to be bothered. And you can see the same thing with Sansa. When she goes to the Godwoods, Godswood in King's Landing, even though there is no uh, Weirwood there, Sandor and the other guards essentially respect her and say, yeah, you can, uh, you can, you can go in, uh, go in on your own. We're not going to follow you. We're not going to listen. We're going to stand here and let you do it. So... Yeah, unlike the Faith of the Seven, which very much has um, has churches and chapels and the idea of group worship, the Weirwoods, Weirwood worship is a very one-on-one uh, -on -one thing. It is, it is between themselves and the Weirwoods. So it's unclear if they have any prayers. It's unclear if they have any sort of ritualized behavior that everyone does. It more seems to be that they wander into the godswood, look at a weirwood and think about what it means to them. Although there is one big ritualized part of um of weirwood worship and that is of course blood sacrifice they are huge on blood sacrifice weirwood worship has um consistent themes of cannibalism blood sacrifice human sacrifice all over the place and it's so prevalent that even the ironborn are aware that uh, weirwood worship involves killing people. So, um, so for instance, there's the story of the gray King. This one's for you, Amanda. We've actually talked about him quite a lot. Uh, Amanda on, um, her channel, the Sputin lands loves drawing connections between the weirwoods and the gray King. She has a lot of good theories about it, but one of the ones that is very clear and you don't need a theory about it is it says the gray King also taught men to weave nets and sail and carve the first long ship from the hard pale wood of Ig, a demon tree who fed on human flesh. So that's a weirwood. Ig the demon tree was, was probably an enormous weirwood that was on the iron islands or whatever used to be there before they got broken. Um, it's extended in a lot of other places. So we have the quote here from Sir Bartimus talking about the, the worship of the Weirwoods and, and White Harbor. He says, Then a long, cruel winter fell, said Sir Bartimus. The white knife froze hard, and even the firth was icing up. The winds came howling from the north and drove them slavers inside to huddle around their fires. And whilst they warmed themselves, the new king came down on them. Brandon Stark, this was Edric Snowbeard's great grandson, him that men called Ice Eyes. He took 
<clears throat> he took the wolf's den back, stripped the slavers naked, and gave them to the slaves he found chained up in the dungeons. It's said they hung the entrails in the branches of the heart tree as an offering to the gods. The old gods, not these new ones from the south. Your seven don't know winter and winter don't know them. So um, this is something that I believe is from Norse mythology that you hear about sometimes. And it's and it's kind of resonant. Um, I've I've read. I don't know if these are true. I've read stories about like Christmas trees and how those were adapted from Norse traditions that the garland and the decorations on the trees used to be uh, entrails, not necessarily humans, but like um, intestines and that kind of thing. And that tells you that in the long past, uh, weirwood worship used to very much involve um, very gruesome, brutal uh, tactics that they, they would hung, they would hang entrails from the heart trees. Uh, you can imagine it that they would use um, other body parts too. Uh, that's, that is a part of a lot of pagan religions. So I would not be surprised if that's what George is calling on there. That, that's one of those things that makes you look at Christmas trees a little bit differently. When you realize the, the, um, the, the use of trees is, is not from the Christian religion, it's borrowed from uh, Norse paganism and the way they decorated trees is kind of like, you know, the idea of Odin hanging from them. Um, a lot of, a lot of Christmas tree decorations go back to that kind of stuff. Um, will little fingers entrails be hung on the weirwood? That would be great, but it is uh, very much an idea that I imagine that people were being hung from weirwoods. And actually, the connections between Lady Stoneheart, how much she loves hanging people, may be an example of that. Um, oh, we're only four away from the uh, from the old Germ hat. So 171 likes, 195 viewers. Thank you guys for hanging out with these, me this Saturday. Um, especially oh, day after uh, New Year's. Hope everyone's over their uh, their hangovers and that kind of stuff. Uh, yeah, that's true, Bryson. Uh, Christians do have a form of cannibalism with, um, yeah, transformed blood, definitely. Yeah, look into the history of Christmas. It's um, the Christmas that we know in the Western world is this is this is kind of like a detour. This is one of my favorite things. Um, when they were converting the different pagan religions throughout Europe to Christianity, um, they agreed to it. But they said, we want to keep our festivals and so uh, Christmas was a, was originally a midwinter holiday and uh, it was a big party. It was supposed to be like um, halfway between it was supposed to be on the solstice, I think, between halfway between winter and everyone got part. Everyone partied. Everyone got drunk. They would bring trees inside. They decorate them. Um, yeah. Odin hanging from the tree. Mallory. Exactly right. Um, and so when they became Christians, they brought those they brought their holiday with them. So the and that's actually one of the things that um, has led to uh, Christmas in America being much more, I guess, holy than it used to be in the past. It was because Puritans didn't like the fact that Christmas was a party for centuries. So they tried to turn it back more into Jesus worship. But anyway, that's besides the point. Oh, I'm sorry. 175 new hat time. It's a really cool thing to look into. And it's one of those things where um, the more you read about it, you realize that like office parties and Christmas parties are much closer to traditional Christmas holidays than going to church. It's wild.
There we go. Got the great and powerful turtle on. Um, good question, Honors of Horse. How come we don't see this practice during Winterfest with Bran? Uh, we do get the Fall Festival. That's kind of a big party. That's sort of the same thing. There we go. Uh, so yeah, 200 likes, and I'll read an excerpt from um, from the upcoming Tattered Prince video. So yeah, slam that like button, you guys. Sorry, this is a weird diversion, but it it just comes up because like tree decoration is very much a uh, a pagan religion thing, which is what George is drawing on here. Um, and so there's another quote here. Uh, this is from when Bran was rewinding the, the weirwood at Winterfell's memory, essentially. He says, then as he watched a bearded man forced a captive down onto his knees before the heart tree, a white haired woman stepped toward them through a drift of dark red leaves, a bronze sickle in her hair. No, said Bran. No, don't. But they could not hear him. No more than his father had. The woman grabbed the captive by the hair, hooked the sickle round his throat and slashed. And through the mist of centuries, the broken boy could only watch as the man's feet drummed against the earth. But as his life flowed out of him in a red tide, Brandon Stark could taste the blood. So this is one of those scenes that if you actually go and look in the World of Ice and Fire app and look up the scene, uh, Elio and Lindo have clarified what's going on here. Um, they name the white haired woman as an old god priestess. And they say that what they're doing is watering the weirwood. Essentially, that um, the way that um, we were talking about earlier, how like um, blood and bone are very common fertilizers, that the way you um, you keep the weirwoods alive and make them grow is blood. Blood sacrifice makes them grow. <laughs> Speaking of. Ah, drinking from the weirwood. So. Yeah, um, in the long past, weirwood worship very much involved blood sacrifice, human sacrifice, as we see here. Um, they would kill a person, let the blood drain out, and then cut them up and hang them all over the weirwood. And that was the way they honored the gods. It's unclear where this came from, though. Um, the children of the forest do have an idea of blood sacrifice, but it may be a first man tradition like we were talking about with how uh, Christians in Northern and Eastern Europe pushed their winter holidays onto Christianity. This may be a first man thing that got, um, that got pushed onto weirwood worship. But the fact that the trees seem to enjoy it implies the fact that, um, that this may be something that's been ever present throughout their lives, that the children would sacrifice animals and maybe their own, their own kind to it or humans. Uh, why does she have white hair, Valyrian or old? She's old. And I, I also like the fact that the brand, it says that he tastes the blood, implying that the roots of the uh, weirwood, essentially when they drink blood, it, it, like the tree experiences it as you would like, I'm drinking ginger ale. <laughs> that it's, that's sustenance for it. Um, that's kind of creepy to think about, but also makes a lot of sense. Like for instance, the biggest weirwood we see is the one at white tree village. And that's the one that we see inside of its carved mouth that they've put literal bodies inside of it, which implies that they're, they give frequent human sacrifices to it still, meaning it continues to grow. Um, 
I don't know if they're meant to be photosynthetic. They may still be on some level, but they clearly want blood. <laughs> Uh, interesting that it is an old god priestess and the women of magical houses that the Starks would bring into their bloodline rather than the men. Uh, yeah, that that's also very true. The um, the faith of the Seven is largely patriarchal in its um, in its worship, but it very well uh, first man worship may be um, matriarchal in nature. At least there's an old god priestess who seems to be administering the the blood sacrifice. So. Yeah, that could be true. Um, uh, let's see here. Also, um, when you when the brand goes through the black gate, it's said that it basically eats him, which it's a massive weirwood face. So this is, again, uh, <laughs> driving home the idea that the weirwoods exist by eating other things. It's kind of like the Grishka, like I was talking about, that they they need to have things die around them in order to keep growing. Are they tree vampires? Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if vampires were kind of a thing. George likes writing about vampires. Um, which one is it? I have it up here. Fever Dream is about vampires, so I wouldn't be that surprised. Yes, good part. Good point, last of the party. They don't necessarily need sunlight. The one at the Stone Garden and Cashley Rock is basically in a cave. Exactly right. It's very... And the... The black gate has no leaves. It doesn't go up into anywhere that we can see unless it goes through the wall and it's still alive. So clearly blood is blood sacrifice is the thing that keeps them alive. Um, so this is something that came up. Where is this? Um, this is from Eric Forig. Uh, he already asked a few questions through Super Chat, but he asked uh, ahead of time on Patreon, which you guys can do. Um, he asks... What do you make of the first night practice continuing in some old god houses? And this is this is a fact of um, first men weirwood worship. They practice the first night, otherwise known as prima nocta, all the way until Alisane Targaryen said, "Nope." After her council of women, uh, if you don't know what that is, essentially the lord when somebody got married, they had the right to have sex with the bride. Or rape her before the um, before they husband new husband and wife could um, could uh, what's the right word before they could have sex themselves basically um, most of the time they could get out of it by like paying them off or just like some token or something like that but they were allowed to do the Starks uh, Umbers. All of them, all the um, first men houses, Blackwoods too. Um, they were, this was an important part of their religion and they did it. They did it for a long, long time. Consummate their marriage. Thank you, Carl Karsnar. Um, at first it's kind of unclear, like why, why do these things go together? Especially since Prima Nocta is not really a thing. Um, it was, it's really overblown in terms of what it is in history. But I've talked about this before, a practical reason for the first night, um, for old God worshipers is that an unfortunate side effect of it is it would create quite a lot of unwanted highborn bastards. And since we know that old God worship involves human sacrifice, and since we know in George's world that uh, King's blood is a thing, it would create this glut of 
these unwanted bastards that maybe could be sacrificed to the weirwoods. Um, obviously, quite a lot of them join the Night's Watch. Um, that's why the wildlings know the name Snow and, and hate it so much. Quite a lot of these uh, first night bastards ended up in the watch. But um, yeah, you can imagine, like, let's say you're an old god worshiping, like Stark King, right? And you know that one of the ways you have to practice your religion is every once in a while you have to sacrifice. Maybe you have to sacrifice a member of your house. Well, maybe they would consider it easier to do if it was a bastard instead of their own child. I mean, their own um, natural or their own um, child by their wife, you know, somebody outside the line of succession, somebody that they don't care about as much. It's not awesome, but then again, neither is the first night. So, and neither is sacrificing humans. So I, I, it, that's like a practical reason I could think of for why you would want to do this. And we know that, um, children have been given over to the others uh, likely through the wall and through crasher so this could be a similar kind of relationship a creepy one i'm not happy that george wrote it but it's in there again it would have um blood of kings it would have blood sacrifice and it would explain why this stupid why this is a part of old god worship um and if actually, if you look back to the stories of different old God myths and legends, Garth Greenhand himself, um, the progenitor of the first men in, uh, in Westeros, his whole thing was he didn't respect marriages. He just went around having sex with anybody and everybody. And most of his quote unquote children were bastards he left behind as he just sort of walked around Johnny Appleseed banging everything that moved. So it's a well-known part of first man culture to um to seduce as many women as you can and if not with the first night rape them gross not happy about it but i did not write the story therefore blame george blame george <laughs> uh one other th uh thing that comes up with uh weirwoods is obviously their faces so the trees worship the first men no the the first men don't worship the trees in particular. They think the old gods are separate from the trees. We talked about this earlier. The children had the understanding that the weirwoods were the gods. But they both have this idea that the, when you speak before a weirwood, the gods can hear and see them, which we know from Bran they can. But it's actually the children of the forest that do that. That when somebody interacts with a weirwood and they think it says something, like we see with Theon, as we talked about earlier, it's actually somebody connected to the trees. Um, the idea that no man can lie before them, you, know, you can imagine how this would work. Let's say you lie before the weirwoods, but it's actually a children of the forest watching. Well, maybe they would punish you for that lie or something like that, because it's an actual, it's an actual physical being that can do something with that information. It's not like talking to a statue. They are alive. Um, I think this kind of goes into the idea that first men got tricked on what exactly the, the weirwoods are, because if they knew they were the children of the forest and the green seers, their enemies, I don't think they would treat them the same way. They seem to have a very wrong interpretation of what they are. Uh, they, but all of them do treat these groves as sacred. Um, obviously, one of the big ones is the Isle of Faces. 
um, and not just the awesome podcast by Joe Buckley. Uh, you also have High Heart. You have the Grove um, outside the the Night's Watch that John goes to swear before. Uh, and in most of these groves and in quite a lot of weirwoods themselves, they have these face. Oh, sorry, uh, they have these faces carved into them. And it's said that the children were the one that carved them. Although in the current times, we see that um, old God worshiping wildlings carve faces in the trees as they go. But the way that the faces are carved by the children are very strange because they're not generic faces. When you go back and read them. They have unique features. They have emotions. Some of them are screaming. Some of them are laughing. Some of them are angry. The one at Winterfell is very solemn, and it actually looks like a Stark. Uh, and at, to be honest, quite a lot of the faces look like the families that own them or that they that have built around them. And um, this is in an old video, again, that I'm going to remake at some time. But I like the theory that the Weirwoods were planted and that those faces are like the death masks of the people that were killed. And it's like the children could see, maybe see them with their powers or whatever. And so they carved their actual face in the trees. Um, wow, that was like a 45 minute video. And I think I just explained it in like two minutes. <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that's kind of what's going on there. Um, but it's also, there's an interesting thing that goes on where we learned that there are weirwoods on the Isle of Faces, but they were carved after the pact was signed. Um, don't really know what's going on there. It seems to imply that the that they were carved for the humans in some way. That the children maybe that maybe they initially maybe before the first man came, maybe the weirwoods had no faces, but then the children carved the faces in so they could use them as surveillance. Um, not really sure, but it's it is kind of weird that they do it that way. Um, so. We've got a little bit of time here left, so I think it's about time we get to the most of the questions I got, um, and that is the Weirwoods in Essos. Um, so this one comes from Aaron M., uh, mod extraordinaire, from the Slack. It also came from um, Niado in the, in the Slack. Um, also quite often in the chat I've been seeing, so the question is, are the shade of the evening trees, are they weirwoods? And there's a few reasons I think so. Um, Amanda at uh, Sputed Lance has put out some really good videos. Um, I know Admiral Kurd from the Song of Ice and Fire mod team wrote a really good post about it long ago. And the reason is that there's, <laughs> there seems to be some, there seems to be quite a lot of similarities between the weirwoods and the shade of the evening trees. Um, not only because of like just the way they look, it looks like the shade of the evening trees are like color inversions. They're black with blue tree with blue leaves, whereas the weirwoods are white with red leaves. It's they're kind of like opposites. But also the um, the shade in the evening drink that Danny drinks. When you compare the descriptions between that and branching and the weirwood paste, they seem really similar. Um, so. But there's no weirwoods in Essos, so what, what would have happened to them? Well, that's not exactly true. <laughs> um, there's no weirwoods anymore. They, um, if you look at the children at the kingdom of Efequevron, there's a large, dense forest in northern Essos that nobody goes in that is called like a haunted forest, which has the, um, the woodwalkers. Even the Dothraki are afraid to go in. Everybody that goes in gets messed with. 
Um, so it's very possible that deep within the kingdom of the Efequevron that there is uh, weirwoods in there or that the woodwalkers themselves are um, a SOC version of the children of the forest that they used to be everywhere. And this is also uh, backed up with the fact that in Essos, we have weirwood being used. And one of the main ones is obviously the house of black and white. They are relatively recent though, but the house of the undying is not. Oh, Oh, did I hit 200? All right. Let me pull up the script for a tattered prince. Thank you guys for slamming that like button. <laughs> uh, I have to read one that doesn't give every, everything away. Uh, maybe I can have Amanda on sometime or I'll invite her on and we can talk about the, um, the shade of the evening trees a little bit more. Um, we can just do a little bit here and then, uh, maybe do a full stream on them. Okay. Um, what can I read that doesn't give away the answer? Um, Ah, here we go. Okay, this is a good one. Okay. So <clears throat> let me get my podcast voice ready. Massage the throat. Drink some water. Ah. Okay. Tatters also had so this is a an excerpt from the upcoming Tatter Prince video. Um so here we go. Tatters also has an incredible amount of selfishness. It's well known that sellsword commanders take the largest share of the contracts they make. Tatters also constantly breaks those contracts as the wind blows for the most profit, creating bidding wars among his employers. When faced with competing contracts and vows, he tends to choose the one that helps him the most. Tatters, though, seems to, in general, push that envelope. Um, quote here is the plunder from Astapor was much less than you were promised in Volantis, and I took the lion's share of it. Adding it all up, we get a fascinating portrait of a character that should by now be sounding a bit familiar. Someone you know well, an elegant and well-trained soldier in skit and leading armies, an unabashed jerk with a sharp tongue who uses his reputation and trappings of power to get what he wants, often using past examples of violence. A man with golden hair who uses their soiled cloak as their identity. A man without scruples who demands the lion's share and runs from power at a young age seeking a life on his own terms. There we go. Maybe some of you will get it. Yeah, so that's from the upcoming video. Uh, two paragraphs there. Thank you for slamming the like button, getting us to 200. Um, I guess that means I'm going to have to have more scripts ready to go every week for to read something from it. Hope that was, hope that was enjoyable. Just leading you right up to the edge. <laughs> 
Uh, so we're talking about. Um, so we're talking about the Ifra Quevron and the uh, Shay the Evening Trees. So the questions is. Um, so Aaron's was, I would love to hear you discuss Emma's idea that the weirwood feeds off death and blood and shave the evening feeds off life requiring living sources and what that might mean. Um, Niato asked, what is the nature of the relationship, the connection between the weirwoods and other strange trees mentioned in Song of Ice and Fire, the black bark trees of Essos, which have inky blue leaves that are used by warlocks pr to produce pot a potent drug shade of the evening. <laughs> My ghost fluff? Oh no, that's I can't do that. It won't stay up there. My head is my head is not that flat. Um, so <laughs> I think I think we will do another. I'll do another stream on the shade of the evening stuff. Um, but in general, the basic idea behind it is that there's so many similarities between it, and that George loves the idea of corrupting things, especially when you're talking about Karth, where the shade of the evening shade of the evening trees are. They seem to be like almost like the remnants of an ecological disaster. Like we know from around Karth, there used to be forests and and um, used to be something like Westeros, but it's now turned into deserts and the Dothraki Sea. Um, again, Disputed Lands has talked a lot about um, what she sees as environmental destruction within Essos. So the idea that maybe like if you let weirwoods go on far enough, they turn into shade in the evening, or if you do something to them um, would be kind of kind of an interesting twist on them. Um, but there is quite a lot of connections if you want to go back and read them between Brands of Dance with Dragons chapters with the Children of the Forest and Blood Raven and Danny's um, trip through the House of the Undying. They they almost seem beat for beat exactly correct. I think I talked about this with a bookshelf stud a while ago when we did the House of the Undying stream that it almost seems like the House of the Undying is the warm up for Brand getting to Blood Raven's cave. Um, oh, I see you guys are trying to speculate on who I'm talking about. <laughs> It's a good one. That's why it took a while, but it's a good one. Um, I, I am unsure on the mechanism, basically. Like what, how would you turn a white and red tree black and blue? Um, uh, maybe there were related species or something like that, or maybe the, um, actually one thing that happens with the weirwood trees is that, um, like the Blackwoods tend to bury their dead underneath the Weirwoods. And that seems to be kind of similar to what you see with the Starks, where they have the crypts beneath the Weirwood. Um, and they bury their dead beneath a Weirwood too. It seems to be kind of a first man thing. You also get the... Um, oh, actually, no, that doesn't work. The Dustins. I don't think they have a Weirwood in Barrelton. But they might. Anyway, um... But it's said that the uh, the blackwood tree got poisoned at one point. Well, one way you could poison them is maybe by planting something underneath them. Um, like, for instance, uh, what if you put like oily black stone underneath a weirwood tree? What would happen to it? Or what if you put like um, a diseased body underneath? Or what if you put like a zombie? What if you put like a dragon bone beneath it or something like that? Um, whatever it is. Since we, since we, it's been established that the weirwoods suck up whatever you give them, and that he can taste them, and that that's how they extract sustenance. That maybe the uh, warlocks have done things, done something similar to the shade of the evening trees, and that's how you convert them. 
Um, yes, good point, Amanda. Uh, the color of outer space. I didn't get to that one. The Lovecraft story, color of outer space is very reminiscent of, um, of the weirwoods even before you get like to the strangeness, but the way that they move, the way that they change the colors, the way that they, um, force things to do what they want, um, seems very similar. But if I had to guess if, but the other thing that's very strange is that it's not shade in the evening tree and weirwood that are on the doors. It's ebony and shade the, and uh, weirwood doors and ebony is a real tree. It's not shade of the evening. Maybe people are misunderstand what kind of tree it is. Maybe the, the wood of a shaded evening tree actually is black or it looks like an ebony, but it's confusing that he would use the same language since again, ebony's real. You can, ebony trees are real. Um, yeah. Maybe if you could poison them or you feed them something, um, that is one way that you can uh, you can mess with plants. You can change what you feed them, and they they might change colors. Um, actually, one of the ways that people tried for a while, and this is actually kind of funny, to extract minerals was they tr they genetically were uh, manipulating plants to have them absorb it, and then they would pick the plant and extract it. So, like um, I remember reading about a plant that was genetically modified to absorb gold when they normally wouldn't from the um, from the soil. So maybe the weirwoods are like that, or maybe the shade, the evening trees are like that. They're weirwoods that are being fed something. Um, maybe. Yeah. Very true. Danny and Aria may not know the difference between ebony and shade the evening. Um, it's very, it's an interesting connection though. And it's, it's one of those that you can't ignore. Uh, there are very clear, connections between them in terms of how they're used the way um the way their paste or whatever tastes the way what happens to them afterwards like bran and danny both go on drug trips after they have it like almost identical so i would guess based on that that if they're not the exactly the same tree they're at least uh cousins or they're related in some way maybe shade the evening trees are soc weirwoods and they just diverged over time you never know um yeah even on just like a mechanical level they are so similar that i would i my guess is they're true that 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 um the idea that they're related somehow is true i just don't know how like we also get stories of children of the forest like beings not just the ever quiveron there's um there's similar um, a similar species of weird wood creatures in E.T. that are much taller than children of the forest, but seem to be more or less similar in all other um, all other ways. So I would not be shocked if it's a similar thing where it's just like over thousands of years, over eons, there's like a a um a common ancestor between shade the evening and weirwoods, and they've just diverged over time. Or, or again, like, um, like if you can poison the blackwood tree, maybe you can poison a weirwood to make it become a shade the evening. It could go either way. Um, <laughs> what if Tormund's giant's milk is weirwood based? I think that's just mead. He makes a lot of mead. Actually, I want to make mead. Mead's really easy. You just buy a bunch of honey and then you buy some water and then you uh, ferment it over a few months and you end up with mead. So 
Uh, let's see here. Was there any other question? Any last questions you guys want me to, uh, come to throw them out there? Let me refresh PayPal. I may miss some because it's not popping up on my phone, even though I have push notifications on. Um, yeah. Any last questions? Throw them out there. Oh, I missed this one. Um, so Eric Forig wanted to know what is going on with the Isle of Faces, particularly with the visit of Adam of Hull. I think the Isle of Faces will be a whole nother stream, but um, the Adam of Hull thing is very strange. Um, if you guys don't remember this, during Fire and Blood, um, when things are going badly for the um, the Blacks versus the Greens, Adam of Hull takes off and he kind of does what Jace Valarian did early on in the um in the dance of the dragons where he goes through a whole bunch of castles trying to get trying to get people to swing their support for Rhaenyra and one of the places that people said he went to is the Isle of Faces which is bizarre because um the stories about the Isle of Faces is that nobody goes there um it could be oh I'm sorry it could be um there's a there's a Viking there's a Norse myth about the mead of poetry and it's made from giant's blood or something like that brewed, uh, brewed by some dwarves. I'm guessing that's what, um, the mead of poetry is what Tormund's um, mead is supposed to be for George. Um, oh yeah. So what's going on with Adam of Hull visiting the Isle of Faces? It said when you try and get close to the Isle of Faces, uh, the wind blows and your boat goes right back to the shore. Or if you keep paddling through it, you get attacked by ravens. And then, um, and then you have to turn back or else you're going to lose your eyes. Um, so the fact that Adam visits the Isle of Faces, well, he does it by having a dragon. Um, and that maybe you could think about that in terms of like the only way to reach the Weirwoods and the level of magic on the Isle of Faces is to use something equally magical like a dragon. Um, but if he did, if he wanted to go meet with the green men, you think it would help them in some way, right? Well, it doesn't. After Adam goes to the Elephases and supposedly meets with the green men, he then goes to the Battle of Second Battle of Tumbleton and dies on Sea Smoke. Um, it actually ends up leading, after he goes there, it leads to the death of most of the rest of the dragons. Um... <laughs> The only thing that really comes out of it that in some way it doesn't even really help the blacks. It's just that Cregan Stark shows up late, which he was planning on doing anyway, and just punks over everyone that's left and takes over King's Landing. So <laughs> if he made a deal with them, it didn't really seem to work out. Not for him, not for House Valarion, not for Rhaenyra. Um, I mean, they won the war, but how much of that did that? Was there anything magical about that? Um, other than Cregan hanging back. I, I do want to talk though about, um, the eye, the God's eye at some point, And especially was really interesting is the two of the major battles there are fish feed and butcher's ball with both, which both take place either on the God's eye or really near it. Um, so if you're looking for like magic that will be coming up in house of the dragon, um, all the stuff around the God's eye is super fascinating. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. It's um, even in Fire and Blood, they say it's like, oh, no, we don't really think Adam of Hull actually went to meet with the green men. We know we're there because we know they're there because Howland Reed talked to them, but it may just be weirwoods. Like it could very well be that Adam of Hull landed on a dragon in the Isle of Faces and there are no green men. It was just a bunch of weirwoods. And because Howland um, 
and Jojen apparently have some connection with the old gods that maybe they were able to talk to the green seers. That may be it. There may not actually be green men on the Isle of Faces. Nobody's ever seen them. Um, oh, good call, Laura Seven N. Does Adam offend them? We don't know. Um, it's really presented really quickly, but we know he dies shortly afterwards, so it doesn't seem to have helped. Um, so we're going for about uh, two hours here. Let me see if I got any last questions. Um, how long am I planning on streaming tonight? Um, I'm about to end Steampunk Overlord. Came in a little bit late there. Um, I always go for about two hours. Uh, it's Torment's Giant Milk story, an account of a three-month bender. It could be. I, I also I do generally think it's um, the meat of poetry. George knows a lot about Norse mythology, so I would guess that's what he's. Um, that's what it is. Or it's supposed to be like his version of it, the non-magical version, just like an amazing drink. Mead's really good, but it's expensive to make because honey's really expensive. Um, it actually gets better the longer you wait. It's kind of like wine. Oh, PayPal from Aaron. Hang on a second. Let me check it. Well, you can watch the... Uh, you can watch the replay, Steampunk. All oh, your overlording. Um, so a $20 PayPal from Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Very generous of you. Um, she says, do, weir can, do you think weirwoods can die naturally? Do they live forever unless someone poisons them or cut them down? That's, that's one that's directly in the text where um, the f humans think that the weirwoods, if they're left alone, will essentially last forever. Um, that they're extraordinarily long lived and it seems to be the case. It's just, they, it doesn't seem like they, they'll grow. They won't get bigger unless somebody waters them with blood or uh, uh, entrails or whatever else. They'll just stay the size they are. Um, like for instance, if you think about the night fort, the, the, the weird tree that's coming up through it, the, the Night's Watch has abandoned that thing for like 200 years and the tree itself isn't, is fairly small. It's not big. So it may, it may stay there forever until more blood shows up. Um, until somebody gives more sacrifices to it or to the uh, black gate itself. Yeah. The stumps, good call. Isabel Lamego. The stumps are still kind of alive. Jamie leans against a weirwood stump and has his crazy vision underneath the, um, casually rock itself. So, um, there's also hints that the weirwoods and the eerie may still work. Sansa hears some bizarre things while she's up there. Um, not really sure about that one, but I, I don't, if they can die naturally, it would be on time scales that would be far beyond um, our understanding. There seems to be no reason for them to die unless you poison them or cut them down. But even if you cut them down, they kind of keep on going, which again leads into the idea that maybe they can grow by cuttings. If, if the stumps are still alive, maybe if you kept watering them with blood, maybe the whole tree would blow back, would uh, grow back. Could be feeding off the blood spilled on the wall. <gasps> that's a future video, Aaron. Actually, is yes, that's gonna be a, that's gonna be a future video. You know, the one in Winterfell doesn't seem to have grown much over time. I mean, um, if you trace back, looking at a perspective brand tracks, it's getting bigger, but it's getting bigger very, very slowly. 
Um, so yeah, that would be, that would be my answer on, can they die naturally? Probably not. Um, they essentially seem to just go into like, um, hibernation or just stay the same size forever. Uh, black eyed Lily wants to know how many likes 210. So yeah, this time you guys slammed the button to 210. So you got two hats and you got an excerpt from the upcoming video. Um, that should be done. Well, I'm on the animation phase, so I should finish that up today and tomorrow. Um, I have to, but I have to do the giveaway part of it. I have to figure all that out and record that. Um, and then I'm going to be putting up the threadless shop for like a Joe Magician merch and all that stuff. San Rixian's uh, designing an excellent one for me. Um, so yeah, um, thank you guys for spending your Saturday with me. Um, slam that like button, subscribe if you haven't, if it's your first time here, uh, leave a comment below. Uh, what would be my question? My question for you for the comments would be, what is your favorite Weirwood um, and why? I'm guessing most people say the Winterfell Weirwood, but there's a whole, there's a whole lot of really good ones. Um, that's the Heron Hall one is awesome. Um, the one in White Harbor, that one is pretty ridiculous. Um, the there's High Heart, there's the ones beyond the wall, you know, White Tree Village. Yeah, favorite Weirwood, throw that in the comments. Um, if you want to support me, obviously, um, you know, PayPal super chats are great. Um, also on Patreon, patreon.com slash Joe magician, um, where you get access to stuff early, you get patron only episodes, get access to the patron slack where a bunch of these questions actually came from. Uh, Neato's and Aaron's came from the patron slack. Yeah. San Rixian is going to clothe the entire fandom in her stuff, but yeah. So that is it for today. Uh, hope you guys all had a great time. I know I did talk about one of my favorite subjects. Um, I'll see you all next weekend. Um, look out for the video coming up, especially patrons. And 